Greetings, Binge Lords. This is a sponsored episode of Binge Movies. I'm here with Robert Yanez Jr., the Iron Man of Binge Movies, the Binge Movies universe. Uh, he's a linchpin, right? He he bridged the gap between uh, myself and so much of that exists in my life. Really, I'm your Spider-Man. I'm Robert Yanez Jr. Jr., well, I mean, Rob, Iron Man was played by a Robert Jr., so, I mean, there's a connection there. What in my life, what in my life do I have that isn't because of you? <laughs> well, I mean, you have, I, I guess, my failure to po- properly defend the Matrix. You have <laughs> Ghostbusters in the vault because of me. So, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> Does that cancel out the Saving Private Ryan erasure? Or a Rocky erasure, I guess? No. <laughs> we're not there yet no, we'll, you, you, well we have to build towards something we, we, yeah we have to build towards something now you you did a great job on last movie standing you you came prepared and uh you know we, we we've i think everybody's done as a reasonably good job it's not easy and i think everybody realizes it after they're about halfway through they're like ah oh, shit this is hard um, and, <laughs> I didn't spend enough time preparing for this. Yeah, and you did. You had. You had. I saw you had notes and you had arguments and counter arguments. So you did a good job. You just you had beat on the pole, and that's the that's the way it works, man. You could you could do a really killer job. I think you did, and then the general public is like, eh, I like this movie better. <laughs> that's that's all it takes. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, yeah. pretty much, and I was pushing that that boulder up the hill as hard as I could. You, I was yes. like retweeting, retweeting, yes. like anybody, let's save the matrix. <laughs> and like, all right, well, I tried. <laughs> yeah, okay. This well, is where I ended up at. We were given this task. Uh, somebody said, uh, "Give me, I'll give you some money, and you got to talk talk about Pixar movies." And, um, I. I'm not a Pixar aficionado. If you've ever listened to our Pixar episodes, you are. You're a big time hardcore Pixar nerd, and I mean that in a complimentary way. And so I thought, there's nobody better than Robert. I owe him my life, anyways. Uh, you know, and uh, let's just do this. Let's have fun. But we're going to do it differently than we ever have before. One, we've been challenged not to swear at any point in this podcast, which is probably not going to be a problem for you because you're a good person. But I'm a degenerate. So as a degenerate, uh, I, 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 I could either turn it on or off. And my default setting is when I'm guesting on other people's shows, especially is off. Yeah. So I will, I don't think I will keep it off. I don't think I've ever heard you swear. So I just assume that you are Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> not, not in the slightest. Okay. Uh, but, but, but yeah, I appreciate You're that, in the Tampa area, though. So it's more likely you're a Scientologist. But I think Scientologists can swear. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I yeah I think so. I heard that Tom Cruise uh, behind the scenes leaked audio (laughs) from the set of Mission Impossible Seven, and so yeah, it sounds like he can swear. Looks like he's going to need to go clear again because yeah, he's an angry guy. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. You picked, I think, uh, probably the the five best Pixar movies. Arguably, we didn't include Toy Story because we've covered two of them before, and there's a chance we'll cover a third, the third and fourth one later on. So I just said. Pick whatever you want Pixar-wise, That's because that was the assignment to us. That was the brief. Just not Toy Story, because we've, we've been down that road here. And so you said, okay, let me think about it. And two seconds later, you're like, these five. And I'm like, okay. Well, those are like the five, so we're going to do it. 
Normally, you have your list, I have mine, it goes all season, and it culminates the last movie standing, which you have competed in. Excellently, may I add. I really appreciate that. Always appreciate your contributions. This time, we're going to do something different. We're going to have to come up with one list in real time. It's not really Moneyball, because Moneyball is you pick a bunch of average to mediocre to less than mediocre players so you can get on the cheap, but combined, their stats will combine to create the effect of a super team. Um, these are all... Tr like first class, triple A title, top of the line, gold standard Pixar movies. So it's the opposite of Moneyball. Basically, we're going to Patriot this thing, or we're going to Yankee this thing, <laughs> and we're going to build our starting lineup, but we have to agree on the list. So we can do this, Robert, because we're making this up in real time on the fly. This may right. be the worst episode I've ever put out, and I've put out some stinkers. <laughs> or it may be really fun and something new. So we're always taking chances here. I we'll find out. Yeah, I we'll find out. No, but to, to, to add more to the selection process, like once you asked me to do this episode, and I furiously went into a research frenzy of trying to identify what I what I consider the five best yeah like a, a compelling five because what I didn't want to do is come on here and bring like three or four really great ones and then like you know a cars two or something <laughs> like that where it's like you know because it wasn't when I was on the 98 uh, part two episode yeah, yeah it was very clear we we're like well saving private Ryan yeah. is number one and uh, I forget Godzilla I think was the bottom yeah that was very obvious it's like well that was too easy like I wanted to make this a challenge for us and so I went through and I, it, all the five of these won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. <laughs> all five of these are 95% or higher, or higher on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. All, all huge hits, all beloved. Uh, I tried to get in different filmmakers. We only have one repeating here yeah. for two of the, of the five entries. And uh, yeah, that's how I, I, that was a very deliberate effort for me to really push, push us to our limit in, on this. And honestly, rewatching these now... It's like I could probably make an argument for why any of these is is the number one. So that's why this is going to be so tricky because yeah. the 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 difference in quality between them for me in some cases is so razor thin, which is why this is going to be an interesting kind of back and forth to actually find a definitive ranking for these five. Let's just tell the people, Robert. You tell the people what's on the list. What are we What are we ranking today? Okay, so we're, I'll go in chronological order of release. We're doing uh, Finding Nemo from 2003, The Incredibles from 2004, Wally -E from 2008, Inside Out from 2015, and Coco from 2017. We're going to do this in any particular order you want. So you, if you say, like, let's start at what I think is mediocre, let's pick our number three, we hash it out. Or if you want to start at the bottom, you want to start at the top, I don't care. Uh, I would say maybe keep number one for the end because I think uh, that'll be better. But otherwise, uh, I'm going to kind of acquiesce and just kind of give a little bit of power to you and say, how do you want to do this? How do you want to tackle this? Because remember, here's so the only rule here is, let's say we start at five, for instance. We start at the bottom, work our way up. We can't move past five until we're in agreement. Mm -hmm. So we got to be. So we're in agreement, agreement on yeah. where it where it places where no, where that proposed number five film Correct. places in the ranking. We're okay. creating one list, and we okay. can't move on from a ranking until we've locked in that particular movie. So we could either get to this real quick, or we could be here for eight hours. <laughs> it's up to you, Robert. <laughs> um, you know what? I I was even think because I know normally 
you, when you do ranking episodes, you go chronological. Yeah, yeah. And I think just to mix it up, I, I was going to probably say, let's start with my proposed number five, which again, if we're, if we're, I don't know if we're still doing ratings or anything for that, no, for this, nope. but all my, my, all my ratings were like between 8.5 and 9 point something. Well, the reason, so yeah, the reason why, very... yeah, the reason why we're not doing them is the dispute here is not, are these good right. or not? Right. Right. The dispute is really what's the best. What's the best of the best? That's what we're mm -hmm. trying to figure out. And can we agree on it? Can a Pixar, as someone who's ambivalent, I don't dislike them. I'm ambivalent towards them. As somebody who really loves them, could we come up with a, while not swearing, a really good <laughs> list and, and, and rank them Keep appropriately and yeah, and put it at number one. And, and um, right. this was supposed okay. to be a child friendly episode, but I picked, the most boring way of doing it for children. So, here, <laughs> sorry, kids. Sorry, kids. If you're listening, you're still going to be bored. Yeah. Um, I so yeah. So I'll just start with my proposed number five, which I'm surprising myself by saying that this is my number five because this at one point was probably maybe not my favorite, but like close to the top. Yeah, and it's still close to the top. It's number five out of the whatever twenty movies yeah. or whatever Pixar has made, most of which are good to great in my opinion. Uh, but I had Finding Nemo at number five. Me too. I remember when it came out in the summer of 2003, it was the huge family movie that, that year, I would say. And I love the setup with, uh, with Marlon vo voiced by Albert Brooks. And I like that it goes dark right off the bat. Like yeah. all of his children are devoured by a barracuda, including his and his wife. Mm -hmm. And he has one egg left. And I think you need that scene to justify why this guy is so unlikable the rest of the movie. Because he is very unsympathetic. He's kind of a hard, uh, uh, you know, he's kind of hard to deal with. He's kind of, I caught myself you there. Did, right? You did, you did. You're that? good, you're good. Um, um, <laughs> and so all the, you know, it explains, it, it makes a lot more sense why yeah. Dory was the character that popped. Because she was actually the fun character, the one we could root for. And we understand more Marlon's coming from. And so that lends a lot of pathos to the movie especially coming to it now as a now that i have two kids at the time i was 20 so i did not I, you know i couldn't really relate to having kids per se yeah uh but I, I think that emotional thrust anchors this movie pun intended and uh pushes it through a lot of what is essentially very episodic he meets a shark and they go through a jellyfish field and and, uh, you know, they, they, hang, they hang out with some turtles, some surfer dude turtles, and all those characters are fun, but it, you could almost interchange, you know, you could almost interchange a lot of those segments. It is, it's very much like 
a beginning and an ending, bookending the story, and then in the middle, a bunch of hijinks. And I feel like if we're splitting hairs and trying to rank these five films, all of which are great, again, I don't want any any Pixar uh, you know fanatics in my mentions being like, I can't believe you put Finding Nemo at number five. <laughs> but it's like, I, you know, it's it's a great movie. It's one of their best. This uh, aside from the Toy Story franchise, this is the top five of Pixar yeah, in my opinion. Right. I, it just with all those keeping all those different things in mind, it, it felt it slipped little by little. Like I think initially I was thinking it was probably going to be three or four. And then as I rewatched it, I was like, yeah, no, I think this might be numb to number five. So that's where I ended up where I was. It's really funny. And I, th- I think it's, it's got a lot of heart to it, but not as much as some of the other ones, which we'll get to. And it's, it, the story isn't as, isn't as tight and uh, cohesive as I, as I would prefer. This is the first time I've ever seen Finding Nemo. I saw that on Twitter when you, when you posted it. And I was like, what? <laughs> so what was that like coming to it now for the first time? Yeah, um, obviously, like I, 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 I've exi- have existed in the world, right? So I know, I know what it is. There's not, like you said, there's not much story to it, really, when you break it down. So I knew what the story mm-hmm. was. I knew what the, per- I knew who Dory was. I knew who Marlon was. I knew who played who for the most part, and you know, and all that sort of stuff. So I knew, I knew the characterizations and what they were, the characters and what they're going to be like. So there were no surprises. There was nothing in the movie that really surprised me. Except for the fact that I didn't really care about Nemo at all. Uh, I'm a childless degenerate, so his experience meant nothing to me. Uh, I like the 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 other characters in the fish tank at the dentist office. Uh, you know the Willem Dafoe's and all that. Um, uh, finish it. That's what I wanted him to say to Nemo. You know, <laughs> deliver us from evil. That never <laughs> happens. Uh, I just kept waiting for that. I like it all, you know. I like. I think Jeffrey Rush is the Pelican, or am I wrong about that? Which one's the Pelican? Is it, yeah, yeah, yeah he is. Rush. You know, so I, I, you know, I liked all the characters. Uh, Nemo and his. Every time they cut back to him and his plight, I didn't really care. Uh, and on top of that, um, I liked Albert Brooks's character all the way through because um, he is kind of a jerk, but. He's coming out of a place of fear, and he's coming out of a place of trauma. It seems ridiculous to say about a clownfish, but that's right. He was traumatized, like you said. His entire, all of his children were wiped out, and his the love of his life was killed in front of him suddenly. Mm-hmm. So that would probably, and he had one little tiny damaged egg, which I guess later he fertilized because that's how it works with fish. Not sure. But <laughs> that would be a very sad fertilization process. That's what I always think is like, oh, this is sad. Single, childless Marlin fertilizing his last damaged son. Ugh. Anyway. While, he, while he's in tears while doing it, too. Like, all right. All those eggs. <laughs> exactly. Coral. Nemo. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got this gimpy little fish buddy, and you know, it's a it's a nice world, but I found myself drifting in and out at times because it is an odyssey, like you said, it's a series of vignettes. Right. So it's it's like an odyssey, right? We got to go here, got to get back home. So it's an epic journey, and so it does follow that, like kind of like like the odyssey. Um, it, it's sort of episodic, and. Um, <clears throat> And some of those worked better than than not. The turtle stuff I thought was fantastic. The little turtle, whatever his name is, Splash or whatever his name is, Squirt, Squirt, fantastic. 
Um, the shark stuff didn't really do anything for me. And also, I'm coming at this now knowing that Ellen DeGeneres is evil. So I, right. <laughs> she was always annoying to me. Now I know she's annoying and a terrible person. And I always found her very untalented. But um, to, to know that she's untalented and terrible, it, I didn't find the Dory character endearing at all. It was just like, Marlon is right. He needs to ditch this, this, <laughs> this insane and obnoxious person. Well, it's also like a Memento-style subplot like with Dory, yes. too, which is, which is strange to have in the middle of a kid's movie. And on the one hand, you could, be, you can, you could read that as, oh, they wanted to have like, this kind of mental health representation or whatever. But on the other hand, it's a lot of the butts of the jokes. Exactly. A lot of, the, lot of the, the butts of the jokes are at Dory's expense. In this movie specifically, finding Dory, you know, you could, well, that's a whole other conversation. But, yeah, we're not going to uh, have. But yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, no. Have you even seen Finding Dory? Like, no, no. Nope, is this a whole nope. brand new world All to you? All brand okay. new world to me. Because like where I thought they were going to go with it is there's always the thing about how goldfish don't have any memory or whatever they you know so right. and I thought well she's not a goldfish but I thought there was going to be like that kind of a thing where she's she's a dumb fish basically and then it just turns out she has brain damage and you're like well that's not funny yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> you no know? not like, at all you could have just been like well she's dumb and then it would have been like oh okay or she's just she that her species of fish doesn't have a good memory but they're like oh no no here's some scars she she's been through some stuff but. I, I, and overall, I liked it. I, 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 I think what you said about it is spot on. It has a strong beginning. It has a strong end to the point that the end basically just flashbacks to Marlon flipping over his fin and finding the damaged Which, egg. Which, uh, a moment that always gets to me. It got me. Like Choked the me daddy's out. here, daddy's got yeah, you thing. Yeah. yeah. Very, very powerful little moment. I so I loved Albert Brooks in this. I think he's great. I think he's like, he is annoying, but on, per on purpose. But I think he's really funny yeah. too. And I think he's the funniest most fleshed out well-rounded character in the movie and it just in comparison to the rest of what we got the animation isn't as stunning doesn't hold up as well there's it's kind of blocky in some some instances um what they were able to do with some of the water i thought was amazing but the actual fish and stuff it's not it doesn't held up it's not that impressive the story is threadbare some of the characters are annoying i didn't care about nemo you know i i cared yeah. about Marlin. kind of the kind of the whole point yeah yeah so again, not bad. It's just in right. comparison to the rest of these. Um, and I, honestly, I thought it was a little overlong. I thought it was like 15 minutes too long. This could have been a 90 minute movie. And it's, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I think it's more. Well, they find Nemo and then there's a whole other yeah. set piece with the net and yeah. with uh, Marlon having to trust Nemo to, to See, organize all the fish to I like down that and all that part. stuff, which was good. But I just wanted them to, but it's like, they needed to get out of the dentist's office faster or get to him yeah, faster. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. And yeah, it was, yeah. Well, the, the, the fish gang, the, the fish tank gang is in a way feels very, it, it feels like filler. Like you don't need it really Correct. much of that. Yeah. And, and yet in some instances, some of the best ideas and the more interesting characters are in that fish tank, which yes. uh, says a lot about Marlon and Dory's journey. If you're like, yeah, but I like, you know, I like Gil and I like the, the starfish, the, all the, the ragtag yeah. gang in there. <laughs> yeah. Allison Janney. Yeah. yeah. She's great in the too. She's great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that, yeah, maybe they should have got out sooner and the two should have met in the middle or something. I don't know, but yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's definitely number five. We're not scoring these. So, cause they're all whatever. We're eights, nines, tens, whatever. So it doesn't matter. They're all good. Finding Nemo's good. Don't get in the mentions. I like it. It's just, <laughs> I, I found myself, it didn't cap capture my attention all the way through. So what's your number four? So at number four, I have inside out. 
positive. Okay. I'm positive you will get lost in there. That's long-term memory. An endless warrant of corridors and shelves. I read about it in the manuals. The manuals? The manuals! You read the manuals! Yeah. So you know the way back to headquarters. I guess. <laughs> you are my map. Let's go. Lead on, mind map. Show me where we're going. Okay. Only, uh, I'm too sad to walk. Just give me a few hours. Oh! Which way? Left? Right. No, I mean, go left. I said left was right, like, correct. Okay. This actually feels kind of nice. Okay, here we go. We'll be back to headquarters before morning. We can do it. This, this is another one that I kind of thought I would have had a little bit higher, but rewatching it, like I love the the ideas in this movie. I love the performances by Amy Poehler and uh, Phyllis Smith specifically. And again, not to bring my personal life into this, being a parent of a little girl, it's 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 both very entertaining but also kind of heartbreaking in a way this movie like there's so many ideas and that's something that Pixar really thrives at is visually illustrating what these kind of abstract concepts are so what goes on in our head and how can we explain that to children and that so I think this movie really sort of is an examination of adolescence about how you're how you emotionally develop and and for a movie that's essentially about 95 minutes of a like and watching an 11 year old girl emotionally crumble it's yeah. it's actually yeah. you know it's a lot of fun at points and there's a lot of innovation going on there's a lot obviously a lot of imagination goes down to all the different aspects of Riley's mind i also feel like there are instances in this movie where where the pixar team gets a little i don't know a little full of themselves with their ideas there there's some aspects that feel very indulgent like certain things are just there to be like, look, train of thought, but it's a train. Get it? I'm like, yeah, we get it. I get it. I understand <laughs> the concept. Like there's so much time spent on the world building that again, sort of yeah. like Finding Nemo, yeah. the story yeah. is this girl is dealing with emotional stuff, the, you know, and what, how her, how her emotions are sort of sorting themselves out. Yeah. And that's illustrated by joy and sadness leaving because her sense of self is is kind of devolving she's yeah. moved to a new city so she doesn't know who she is so you know all these different aspects of her personality sort of fall apart and like like most of us do at some point in our adolescence when we're trying to redefine ourselves and i love that illustration of it and i think it you know it's the kind of movie that my five my five-year-old was didn't want to sit down with me to watch it because she thinks it's it scares her a little oh, because wow. of how real it yeah, is i think yeah. on some level but then she found her way kind of in while i was watching it and sat down with me and watched like the second half of it so i think it's it's a it's a great in a way, teaching tool for young kids to sort of understand how that everybody kind of goes through these things yeah. and sort of visualize, uh, visualize kind of trauma. And, and uh, it feels like one of the only Pixar movies that's made more for parents than it is for kids, because I feel like a lot of these, yeah. a lot of the, the resonance of this will sail right over kids' heads. Uh, but it's just like certain parts of the middle just felt to me that they were Again, very meandering, kind of like Finding Nemo in a different respect. But still, I, I give them huge props for the, the story that they're trying to tell and the, the sort of profundity behind the, the thesis statement of the movie, which is joy and sadness need to coexist. You need one in order to have the other. Sadness is as important as, important as joy and how those two 
fit together because again, as a parent, you know, you, your, your default mission is I need to keep my kids happy, but guess what? Your kids aren't always going to be happy. They're not supposed to always be happy. Sadness is what colors your experience with context and gives you perspective and all that stuff. And that's what this movie has to say. And I think that's great. I also don't think it has as much rewatch value as some of these other ones that we're going to get to. And I also think it's more, more, uh, it's might, it might be more exciting to use as an educational tool or to, discuss after the fact like we're doing now at certain points than it is to watch yeah okay this is not my number four okay here we go okay here we go Um, where did you have this i'm i'm like i'm doing all of this in real time by the way i didn't i just i kind of had a rough idea of where i would put them in my head well let's start with inside out so i i saw this this is what i've seen (laughs) i watched it by myself in the middle of the day it was one, whatever year this came out. I was like doing an end of the year catch up to watch. So I had the end of the year off and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch like all these movies I've missed before the end of whatever year. Right. So right. And that way I can just do the film nerd thing and be like, I've seen all the good movies and this one had a lot of praise. So I watched it. It was, um, this is pre Disney plus it was, I probably rented it or whatever. And, I'm watching it and it's the middle of the day and I'm sitting in a chair and I'm, we get to Mr. Bing Bong or whatever his name is. And I just start sobbing. Understand. Like, I don't mean crying. I mean sobbing. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? Right. I'm a crier anyways. I'm an easy cry. Um, but less so then than now I'm more traumatized now. So tears flow a lot easier. And back, back then I really, you know, I had, I had mild trauma, and so I would cry, but I wouldn't sob. I sobbed, and I was like, oh, my God. And so for a long time, I'm like, I don't want to watch this again because I don't want to feel, like, gutted emotionally as I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. I-, I watched it again this time, and I didn't tear up at all, and I didn't wow. feel very much at all. And this time as I was watching it, it was, it was at a certain point th- – they become more, it feels like they become more in love with their concept than the actual telling a story. And the the reality is, is that like, okay, the concept is really clever. We're going to create characters that represent different emotions. Disgust is not an emotion, by the way, but that's fine. But we're going to create all these (laughs) different characters that represent different emotions. We're going to get the perfect people. Lewis Black's going to be anger. And we're going to, all the parents are going to be like, oh, how clever. And it's real clever. And I, and I don't mean that sarcastically. It's very clever. And this is how this world works. And we have got core memories in your childhood and other things and other emotions. Emotions affect memory and they color memory, which is like literally they color memory. And that's what makes you yeah. who you are. And it builds these foundational aspects of your personality. And then you get into adolescence and close to puberty and all that starts to change. You change, the world change, you introduce life change to a young person at a vulnerable time, and, and all of that's going to change. And these emotions, in particular joy, don't know how to handle it because memories are changing and life is changing and what makes this girl happy is changing. So joy doesn't know how to do her job, right? And she's used to being in control all the time and all this sort of stuff. And um. But there's a point where you can anthropomorphize almost too much where it, mm. like, it feels as if these emotions, because they exist so independently of Riley, 
right? And, and it, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, it seems, yeah. it, it's, it, there's this, in the middle of the movie, it feels almost disconnected, even though it's supposed to be connected. You know, like, oh, we push a button, we push a lever, and they keep going back to that to remind you of like, oh no, this is how this works. And then it's like right. at a certain point, Riley's an avatar, she's not a character anymore, whereas the emotions are supposed to be avatars for her. her. They're supposed to be aspects mm-hmm. of her. I think there's a disconnect between um, her and herself, right? Because ultimately, it's her, it's her sadness. It's her joy. It's her. Yeah. And, and um, instead, they're all just kind of like, I'll give you a great example. When we see Joy and the, her um, counterparts inside the mom, they all kind of look like the mom. Yes. Same with the dad, right? The dad's emotional personality complex or whatever. They all look like him. None of Riley's emotions look like her. <laughs> well, actually, I, that's something that I've noticed over time, too. And I did a little research, and it seems to me that the filmmakers did that, like, their justification for that was, especially, you know, she's got uh, multiple different, you know, she's got different genders, too. She's got male and female yeah, emotions in yeah. there. I think the implication there is that Riley's a kid, her sense of gender identity isn't necessarily stabilized it isn't necessarily fully formed. none of hers and that was kind of yeah. their yeah, yeah exactly and so that's why the dads all look they're they're all male yeah. and they all look exactly like the dad with the mustache and everything and the well, mom same thing with the glasses yeah so it, i think it's an interesting idea i wasn't but. thinking about it in terms of gender but that is interesting i right. i was thinking because like she's like a prepubescent character so she has no sexuality exactly. right so I, that makes sense and i wasn't thinking about it in those terms i was thinking about it more in the terms of there doesn't seem to be as a direct correlation. There's a correlate, like there's a correlation, like you said, in an almost ham-fisted way at a certain point, which is like this is Riley's train of thought, right? Mm-hmm. As a, but there's not a, as direct of a tie to these individual emotions and this person, right? And I, you don't pick that up the first time you watch it because it seems like well they do this and she's affected this way and so forth and so on. But when you really watch it, you're like. At a certain point, it does. It feels like this is happening in like a vacuum somewhere almost. It's weird. It's weird on repeat. It's like she's a robot that they're controlling. Yes. And she has no, yes. no agency in her, of her own. Correct. And they don't seem to be influenced by the outside world. It's all right. inside out, but there's no outside in. And I would <laughs> think that there, would, there needs to be an added complexity of if she's like the 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 one that got me right was the 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 hockey tryout. Um, because her emotions are all out of whack, she is can't perform. She's not good at hockey or whatever. Mm-hmm. That well, there's there's not just inside stimulus. There's outside stimulus. So something should happen in her outside world beyond just moving. That also like right. changes stuff. And one of the ways that maybe you could have done that is like something happens the outside and then like that's where anger gets introduced, right? Or anger or the emotions, they physically change. You you get a little of that up front when she's a child, like when she's, I think, uh, you know, she's she's 
running around as a toddler and she sees the cord and that's when fear is like, Oh, let me take over. Yeah. Like, right. As the, as it's like, but that I guess implies that her emotional state is as simple as it was when she was like three or four. That's years what old. I mean. Right. And now she's 11 because there hasn't been, yeah, there have been more characters, but then again, I don't know if this would have been better with more characters either. Well, the only time I, I don't can necessarily think of, mean like more characters. I mean, take, right. take the five or six that we have. What if they physically changed as Riley changes? So right, their joy okay. is like what what they're doing is they change the memories, right? And so so now um, a joyous memory becomes blue. That's the change, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. That's that's okay. But what if instead of that, well, now sadness is going to control more. Okay, right. But what if like what if instead of being all sprightly, what if they started? What if the emotion started to grow up with her? I guess what I'm just trying to get at is there needed to be a correlation between her interior change right. and exterior change and it feels disconnected at some point. That being said, no, that's fair. That being said, I was, it didn't be Andrew in the middle. I was more along for the ride than I was the, the other film that I have. So I think I would put this at my number three and, um, I'm going to put Wally at my number four and here's why. Ooh. Okay. okay. And, and we can, we're gonna have to come to a consensus on this, but I think Wally, like, if you took the first 20, 30 minutes of it, I think is like, I don't know, maybe one of the greatest animated short films ever made. Yeah. If you, yeah. I mean, it's just incredible, right? The texture, I mean, this is old now, right? But the, the texture, the animation, this weird place somewhere between animation and reality, the incorporation of real people, but also just like the it kind of looks document documentary style almost in a way it looks like like you know it's just it, it as cartoony as wally can be like the world around him looks kind of very real and, and scary mm -hmm. and um yeah it's um, immediately i mean they're pulling out all the old disney tricks big eyes and all the they're doing all the stuff that like is meant to make you go ooh, i love this little thing and it works immediately. You love Wally. He's just so endearing and just such a sweet personality that immediately you want to protect. You don't want anything bad to happen to Wally. You just want, you, right. you, but you're sad that he's lonely. And I immediately, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm on empathy overload. It was insane. Because I've never seen Wally either. This is the first time I saw bits and pieces of the end of it. Maybe the second half it was on TV, but I've never, never saw the first half. And it just, I was sold and his relationship with Eve or Evie or whatever. And the whole thing. And it's just wonderful. And him watching the old movies and just, it's all wonderful. And I'm like, I'm in love with this thing. Then we get to up to the ship and it's, it's fun. It's more adventure. And it just kind of becomes more of a, a, a good cartoon instead of a really heartfelt, mm. uh, like masterpiece. And then it has, I think, a really strong ending. But this was the only one that I was tempted to fast forward through. <laughs> Where wow, I was like, okay. let's just get past it. I understand these people are fat. I understand they don't do anything for themselves. I understand that they're slobs. I understand all of this. <laughs> I understand. I get it. I get the joke. They're fat. I get it. They're lazy. But, but do you they're get stupid. Do you get that by and large is essentially Walmart? 
Yes, I get it. <laughs> and, Corporations and, bad. I get okay, it. making sure. Have, making yeah, sure have you listened to this show? <laughs> <laughs> it's all. It's also basically what I like because it, it's the, the interesting thing is I had Wally at number three. So now we're just flip flopping. We're trying to argue three and four back and yeah. forth. Uh, is I, I like that it's there was a yeah, while here Robert where I would have like there was a there's a good 30 first 30 minutes of Wally yeah where I'm like this might be my number one yeah but so it, it just as it went on I was like whoop 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 it just dropped I agree with you it does it loses momentum when it leaves Earth and then it regains it once the story becomes more focused because yes. and this is where we're really identifying a big act two problem that Pixar has. They have these big ideas. They establish them up front. They resolve them really well. Super clever. And then in Super the middle, there's, there's just, yeah, yeah. excellent. Yeah. The, the fact that this is a, a little robot, or I guess two little robots, who teach humans how to be, how, how to be, you know, to, how to get be human again, yeah. basically. It teach people how to rediscover their humanity, take their literal first steps. <laughs> because none of these people walk around. They yeah. just like go on these little automated chairs back and forth, drinking their meals. Um, and, and I, and I love the, the creativity behind a Walmart style corporation who of course would fund these ships and everything is automated. Just hang out this, you know, while we fix up earth. And of course earth was beyond repair. I like the, the com commentary on, uh, environmentalism yeah, and yeah. how we basically destroyed the, the planet on our own and then got so so comfortable wandering around the stars that 700 years went by and we were like oh yeah we forgot to check is earth done what's going on yeah is, is it habitable again so i love all of that i do agree with you there's a middle section where it's just like chase sequences yeah. and and a lot of stuff that some of which is more rewarding than others i still think the the dance sequence with Beautiful. wally and eve is gorgeous and I think Thomas Newman did the score here. Yeah. It, it it sounds to me what I imagine space would sound like in the way that his score for Finding Nemo sounds like the ocean to me with this kind of drifting melody. But that almost like that. feels, so again, like a, it feels like there's, there's they were they made three shorts, yeah. the yeah. end, the middle, the beginning, right? And each of those three shorts is phenomenal. But there's something mm -hmm. between the first short and the second one and between the second one and the third one is just meandering and it's just 1990s cartoon. It just feels like a cartoon. It just yeah. it just feels like a Don Bluth and like Anastasia or something. It feels like a second tier kind of a thing. And and it's almost like the movie's almost too good to sustain how good it is. Yeah. Cuz no, it's, it's I, art. And I and I, it's I agree with art. that. Art. And that's the thing. It's like this is an artistic expression. Because your two main characters can't say more than their really one or two words. Each other's names. Right. That's it. Right? And, and they're all... Directive? Yeah. Directive. It's just directive <laughs> is their main mode of communication. Yeah. Directive question mark, directive period. Right. <laughs> and that's like... I, but I, I love the... Yeah, I love all of that. And the fact that it, the first 30 minutes feel, plays mostly like a silent film. Yeah. And I love the contrast between... This post-apocalyptic Earth, these these robots with emotions, yeah, and and footage of Hello Dolly and La Vienne Rose and like this kind of clash of old school Hollywood like romanticism and yet post-apocalyptic wasteland. Like I love all of that. Yeah, yeah. and I, I agree with you. The 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 blending of sort of live action kind of devolving into animation, as we see at one point the captains looking at the pictures of the other captains and it transitions. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting idea, but all the stuff, a lot of the stuff happening on the ship, I agree. It's, it is kind of 
all over the place and just feels like I don't know. It feels like it's killing time. So I don't know. See, so we, we, is, here's, where, not, here's where we have the struggle. Both these movies yeah, are good, goes, but they both have the same problem. <laughs> yes, great ideas. Yeah, subpar execution at, at times. At t- kind yeah, of yeah, in the middle. middle yeah, they, they screw, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is tricky. Okay. So I think it sounds like you prioritized Inside Out because the ideas in there are more distinctive, are more original, and feel fresher than than Wally. Is that kind of what 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 what, what broke it down for you? Yeah, I think okay. This, this is a this is where it's a toss up because I think Wally's a better looking movie. I think it's mm. um, the animation style. The I, I think that's some of the it's just it's some of the most evocative. I would say it is the most evocative imagery in any of the movies that we watch outside of maybe Coco. Um, and it, somehow they made in a post apocalyptic world like extraordinarily visually interesting, in the, in its yeah. in its blandness. And its sameness, and its blandness, and its disrepair, and that's very hard to do. They, I think, they had the a slightly bigger hurdle, which is they have a character that is a a robot that's basically discount Johnny Five, and we somehow have to <laughs> make him his own distinct thing, and they do it. Um, they completely stole. What made Johnny Five so endearing, though, which was the eye. One hundred percent. I had that in my notes. I had that in my notes. Yeah, yeah they definitely. figured that out. They watched that movie. Are like, what makes that robot so cute is not the uh, annoying commercial references. It's his eye movements. It's eye flutters and stuff. And it may, mm-hmm. it's the Jim Henson effect. It makes them more human. So old school Walt Disney, right? It makes big eyes, fluttering eyelids. It just it brings empathy out of you. So. Um, he even gets a little animal sidekick. It just happens to be a cockroach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Which I think is really funny too. Uh, but then you spend all that time with him, scavenging, you know, scavenging for like interesting things on Earth. Like he spent so much time on Earth that he's developed more emo- more human emotion than the humans. Than the, in the humans, movie. yeah. Which I think that's so cool. Then he finds all these different things. He's a little like I guess air quotes artifacts of what yeah. earth he finds a spork and he doesn't know where to put it yeah. between the spoon and the fork yeah. he, he picks up the little uh, trash can lid and is dancing with it so I love all of that but it's yeah I don't know it, it drops off somewhat in the middle and then comes back I think the drop so I feel like to I think, me I think the drop off for me the drop off is steeper because I, yeah, I think it I starts think so. way stronger than inside out does inside out is very charming it's like very warm it's very like more consistent i think for you yeah it's more mild you know it's more it's more it's just like pleasant even the music you know it's like a pleasant bath and it but wally there's like there's a darkness to it there's a heaviness it it feels more mature and child and childish at the same time in a way right um I don't. I don't know what plays better for actual children. I'm not sure. I, I can't. I don't know if Wally's better because it's just robots. I don't. I don't know. I, I have two nephews and both of them feel like they're. I feels like they're watching Wally constantly. I feel like Wally has more replay value for kids, but which but is yeah, weird. Because like I said, some, I think it's got some it, dark stuff. In it's it. a weird movie. It's weird. It's, are, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. But Inside Out is is heavier, but I don't think kids see that. That's like I was Not saying. Yet. I, feel I like think they kids grow up and then look back on it. They're going to be like, oh my God, right. right? We'll be getting those. So Inside Out would. Yeah, we'll be in those tweets in five, five years. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Inside Out would probably hold up better for people that grew up with both of these movies. Yes. When they get older and they go back and they're like, oh man, look at that. I didn't even understand like the relevance of, you know, exactly what Riley's story is. And it didn't hit me emotionally the same because I, I, uh, I get a little, I, I'm also very emotional. I also cry very easily, especially the last few years. Yeah. Uh, Finding Nemo, I have my moments where I get touched in. Wally, I have moments, especially like the end. It's really sweet and romantic yeah. when they, you know, Wally's memory comes back you yeah. think for a moment that he lost, that yeah. he, he lost that connection with Eve. And then now the whole first act, he's like following her around, like, yeah. <laughs> like totally smitten with her. And then in the end, like she sort of flips because he's bent over backwards to help her with her mission and getting the plant yeah. to, to the ship and all that. She's mean so to then him. She's, she's sort very of, mean to him. <laughs> <laughs> she's very, well, she's she's being robotic. Like it's yeah, her interaction with, right. with him. She's programmed for something and her interaction with him yeah. makes her develop more more emotion and more yeah. like, connection and, and all that, which is which is beautiful. And I love that, that aspect of it. Yeah. But in Inside Out, there's like two thirds of the movie where... I'm like low grade emotional, like consistently, mm. like with the things that are happening, with the things that are Riley's going through. Her breaking down in class uh, is really is really sad to me. Uh, the things the things that are going on with joy and sadness, and how sadness has to kind of take over, and and her losing her me- um, her lost. You see that there's a dump with all the old memories. Yeah, like when she's a, when she's a child and all that stuff. I, all of that stuff is really powerful. I think. Yeah, I think I was just, I think I'm elevated. I gave Wally the edge because of that, mostly because of that first act, and because it feels, in a way, like the most avant garde thing that Pixar's yes. ever produced. Yep. And yeah. I think that's why I gave it the slight edge. You know what? Uh, as I've talked it through, and as I'm close. hearing you talk it through, because here, here's the other thing um, the dip, I think, is steeper in Wally, but. I find sadness to be very annoying. <laughs> like, I don't find it funny. I don't find it. Like, I understand thematically the point of it. I just don't right. find her funny. And I, the self-loathing, all of that, it's like, okay, this is. Well, I like, I like when Joy is like, come on, be positive. And she's like, I'm positive. We're not going to make yeah, it out of here. There's a few, like, That's kind of funny. Yeah, there's a few yeah, that are funny. But I get but you. It's, it's, it's just so, so redundant. I find myself as frustrated by that character as amy poehler's joy does who i think by the way let me just say amy poehler i think is just amazing in this her voice acting is she's phenomenal phenomenal it's like some of the best stuff she's ever done i'm I'm an amy poehler fan but she doesn't play it too broad she doesn't play it there's a way that you could do it where it's like i'm joy and i'm a cartoon Ah!" like she's not like that she's she she got it she got the she seems more human in a way um, yeah, she's like a frustrated manager too. At various yes, points, she's yeah. just like, "Oh, come on, you could do the here. <laughs> this is the circle of sadness. You stay here." Yeah, and, she's got to uh, stay positive. <laughs> stay out of there. Yeah, she's got to stay positive, yeah. even though she's frustrated. Yeah. And like, come on, yeah, exactly. hey, everybody. Um, yeah, yeah. then she develops like that moment I mentioned with the the lost memories. She develops kind of sadness at varying points yes. of the movie as well. Yep. So. Yeah, no, I understand that point about sadness. So go ahead, back to your. your so you had you sad. You about. had uh, Inside Out at four, and 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 I had Wally at four. Right. I will. I will make that trade with you. And it, honestly, anytime it gets weird and soulful and artsy, it's just amazing. And anytime it just goes standard yes. animation, it just drops down. But I will bump it up, and I will. I will trade you your Wally for your Inside Out. And we'll say number four is inside out. Can we live with that? 
I'm, I'm good with that. I should also point out that Finding Nemo and uh, Wally, both Andrew Stanton directed. Yes. So that was the filmmaker that we had on here twice. Yeah. And he also went on to direct John Carter. <laughs> he did, which I have not seen, but I've heard some people be like, it's not as bad as they say. So I Kevin Brackett loves it. It's on Disney Plus. It's five hours of your life that, that you'll. <laughs> That's why I haven't watched it. It's like two and a half hours, and I'm like, I don't know, for like an okay movie. And that's the funny thing, too, because Brad Bird, yeah. the filmmaker who we'll, we're going to get to shortly, yeah. uh, it did Tomorrowland, another expensive Disney live action movie that went nowhere that no one saw. So, so that means at number three, you had Wally. That's what I had. Yeah, it was a nice, a, a nice flip flop there of. Uh, okay. I'll, of so those two. I can live with that. I can live with four Inside Out and three Wally. Now we're getting down to brass tacks, buddy. Number two and number one. Right. I'm. I will tell you that I was. I surprised myself here. So, um, ooh, interesting. What do you got as your number two? At number two, I had Coco. Me too. Wow. How anticlimactic. <laughs> always this nervous before a performance. I don't know. I've never performed before. What? You said you were a musician. I am. I mean, I will be I once I win. That's your plan? No, 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 no. You have to win, Miguel. Your life literally depends on your winning. And you've never done this before. I'll go up. No, I need to do this. Why? If I can't go out there and play one song, how can I call myself a musician? What does that matter? Because I don't just want to get De La Cruz's blessing. I need to prove that that I'm worthy of it. Oh, oh, that's such a sweet sentiment. That's such a bad time. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, you want to perform? Then you got to perform. First, you have to loosen up, shake off those nerves. Uh, now, give me your best grito. My best grito? Come on, yell! Belt it out! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it feels good. Okay, now, now, now you. Oh, come on, kid. I had, yeah. before I, re I started rewatching these, I was like, all right, so probably five will probably be Inside Out, then maybe Finding Nemo, then Coco, and then I rewatched, I'm like, yeah, no, Coco second. Coco's no, I thought Coco would be number one for me. Yeah, really? Yeah. Okay. Because I I saw this in theaters. Now I had the weirdest experience, Robert, seeing this in theaters. So okay, tell me about it. I go to the theater and I'm like, and this, if you remember, this movie made like all the money. Mm -hmm. It it was like sold out theaters. Like this is like it was crazy how much this was extremely popular. Soundtrack, all of it, and I'm like, okay, everybody's raving about Coco, Coco. All the film snobs on film Twitter love Coco. Everybody who's ordinary and just enjoys life and movies, they like Coco. So that tells me it has to be good, right? If, if the film weirdos and the normal normies all like it, then it has to be pretty good. This isn't a greatest showman situation. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait. And, and, and um, I think it came out around the holidays, didn't it? Wasn't this a Christmas release or a holiday release? Yeah, because it also had the like four-hour Frozen thing at the beginning of it. That this, yes. is, this is one of those movies that I went to see it. I was like, oh, boy, check in, like, bored as hell during the Frozen thing. I think it was Frozen Fever or whatever. Right. But it's like 25 minutes long. And then I came out and I told my wife, because I saw it by myself, I was like, you need to go see this movie. Because we had, our daughter was, you know, too little to really go yeah, see that yeah. at this point. So uh, she, my wife went by herself. I hung out with our daughter, who at that point was, I guess, less than a year old. Yeah. And 
I told her just, you know, get there late, miss the frozen thing. And and she she loved it as well. So it was yeah, it was one of those movies everyone was talking so about. So I didn't so. never saw the frozen thing because they they stopped it after a while, remember? They were like there was so yes. much negativity. <laughs> people complained. Yeah, They're they like, got uh, rid of it. Right? Like I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I go and I see it and we have Cinemark around here. And so I had an XD theater, which is their Fomax, basically. It's their, you know, when you go to AMC and you go to IMAX or some of these other places that say IMAX. It's not an actual IMAX theater. Mm-hmm. It's a no. makeshift version of it. So that's why film snobs call it Thomax. Um, you, I don't know that you'd want to watch a lot of these movies in actual IMAX. If you've ever been in an actual IMAX theater, I think you'd puke if you watched like a Transformers movie. They, they <laughs> used to, in here here in Tampa, Florida, they used to have, uh, at the Museum of Science and Industry, yeah. they used to have a dome theater, yeah. the IMAX dome theater. That's true, And IMAX. there I saw... I, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. That I, I saw back in the day in the 2000s. I saw some Star Wars. I saw some Matrix. I saw uh, the, the the Dark Knight. Wow, I saw, yeah, uh, that's true. Interstellar. IMAX. I saw yeah. Ghost Protocol. I think there. Holy like, moly! I, and those were amazing movies to see in IMAX. Yeah. Now, yeah, now every time I go to AMC IMAX, I'm like, man. Not, it's not I, it's I, it's IMAX uh, aspect ratio and some IMAX technology, right. but it's not an IMAX theater. That's a mark. I'm a Dolby guy. I would prefer Dolby. I get. Really? I'd rather have the sound. Yeah. Okay. Than, than the than the IMAX ratio, but that's that's neither here nor there. Okay. So uh, Cinemark has XD, which is neither Dolby nor IMAX. It's this own thing. Basically, it's just very loud and very big. And. Um, uh, and so I saw that cause that's like what it was playing in. Cause the biggest releases usually go there. So, I, and I was there, you know, and I'm in my leather recliner, heated seat, big, you know, aisle and everything. And I'm sitting there and I'm sitting, you reserve seats. So I'm sitting smack dab in the middle. And it's like maybe a Tuesday or a Wednesday. I went after the, I knew the Pixar or the, uh, uh, frozen thing wasn't going to be attached. And when kids went back to school and I went to like, I don't know, a 3, 4 p.m. showing, something like that. And not a soul showed up. It was me in a giant, I mean, huge XD stadium theater in the perfect middle center in front of a giant screen, utterly by myself. And it was one of the most surreal experiences as I'm crying watching a cartoon by myself. And like the ushers kept coming in. I think they were wondering if maybe they could clean the theater again, but there was like just one dude in a hoodie sitting there <laughs> crying. They're like, God, all these teenagers were judging me. And I was, I was kind of worried. I'm like, okay, if I watch this at home, uh, I'm like, I had such a surreal experience with it. Will it diminish to me? Because it was just like, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I love the colors. Mm-hmm. I love the textures. I love that it almost has like a stop motion kind of quality to it. It, it looks like the character designs, they almost look like, um, yeah, stop motion-y. They almost look like a Coraline or Kubo. Just a little bit. They still got that Pixar sheen yeah. to them, but their heads are a little bobbly, especially the skeletons and... Yeah, the, the, there's a. Di- well, there's that one moment where Miguel is like doing the doing. Oh, I hit the thing. Doing <laughs> Miguel is like doing the walk. Yeah. And Hector's like, that's not that's not how we walk. Yeah. Like, that's how you walk. And he's doing like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love all of the characters. There's something right. kind of distinct about the way the characters look versus their world, or where they pop a little bit. It, it, at times, it feels like like really like 3D, but it's 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 not, you know. And so it's just really really 
so colorful and interesting and um they're sparse on the songs thank god because i'm not a musical guy but when the songs kick in they're so charming and you just want to move and you want to dance and it's a it's a whole there's the whole cultural representation aspect of it and i don't know to the, to the degree of accuracy obviously it's fantasy but uh, and they're probably taking liberties but there's there's just so much and it's so, and the other thing is it's just it's it's a fun adventure movie like there was never a point in the movie where I was like, "Eh, I don't know," you know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no. the The ideas here are thematic, not necessarily as conceptual. You know, yeah, the ideas or as deep. are. It's not as deep. Tradition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more. Yeah, the the themes. What it's trying to say is simple. It's simpler, and it's so. With the, I think it's therefore it's easier for for the film to kind of get its hands around what it's trying to say. Which here are, you know, it's tradition, it's legacy, it's kind of that conflict that all of us creative people face at one yeah. point or another to varying degrees. Like, do how much of my life do I want to devote to my passion, to my art, to my creativity yeah. versus family and kind of that, yes. you know, that sort of juxtaposition, you know, where we have the, the character of Hector who left to pursue his music and then it's kind of affected the entire shape of this family and the way that they operate and, and sort of uh, leading Miguel to live in this kind of Footloose-esque no music <laughs> lifestyle with his family. Uh, but like, yes, yeah, so Mama thematically, face, I think... The amount of texture. God, It's like she's animated almost in a completely different style. She looks yeah. like, like, like um, somebody made her out of almost like clay. And, but I mean, like, like, I mean, that, I don't mean that, like, you know, she looks rudimentary. I mean, she looks hand sculpted. Her face looks right. hand sculpted, the level of detail. The detail, the, yeah. the detail on the wrinkles. It's like, and, holy like, the moly. Yeah. Amazing. From a design standpoint, uh, outstanding across the board. Like, culturally, and you know, as far as representation, from what I understand, there was a lot of research that they went and they did into this. They brought people in to sort of explain to them what this culture is like yeah. and what Dia de los Muertos is all about and sort of represent that as accurately as they can yeah. in a, you know, in a movie that's meant for everyone and not necessarily to isolate everybody. Uh, but, and I think that's something that as much as a lot of us take issue with Disney and the business side of it and like the mouse kind of taking over Hollywood and yeah. all this other stuff from a creative standpoint, they, they do put things out like this that or, or Moana where they are actually trying to do something good with representation and, and, uh, you know, having some diversity, not all white leads, yeah, uh, yeah, white male leads, especially back in the '90s. You had Pocahontas. Everyone else was from some country in Europe, pretty much, or <laughs> right. or was an animal, yeah. was an animal, an African animal, all voiced by an almost an all white cast. Yeah, right. uh, so, so getting actual yeah, right. Latinx people to voice Latin these Mexican characters, yeah. you know, you got to give them props for that, and and representing this culture and. And doing so in the form of what is the closest Pixar has ever made to a musical, certainly. Yeah. I think it helps that uh, the the performances in here, because my wife's not, a, a, you know, she doesn't really like musicals either, but it helps that the musical performances in this movie are performed by the characters in the movie. It's yes. not just Miguel walking by and be like, I wish my family would let me play music. You know, he's not singing. He's not singing about his life. He's singing because right. that's how he expresses himself. Yeah. And so it, yeah. even that feels like yeah. it, it's more palatable to even people like you, yes. Jason, who don't really care for musicals. So it's... I yeah I love this movie and and it it hits 
this is the one that I was basically like, there are moments that it hits me emotionally, but there are at least two moments where I watched this. I kind of, to make sure this was fresh in my head, because it's the most recent of the selections yeah. that, we, that we're talking about, and therefore the one I've seen the least. I actually finished watching this this morning, so I started my day with, like, some nice ugly crying <laughs> before <laughs> I jumped on the mic here. Because those two those two versions of Remember oh Me my God. That's that involve Coco. Yep. The, the one with Hector, the flashback with Hector and little Coco... And then, uh, and then at the end with Miguel and yeah. Coco, this, I don't know, 90 something year old woman whose mind is going yep. where he's singing in a last ditch effort to get her to remember her father because he's about to, he's, he's about to fade away from existence and not even exist as a spirit. And the whole thrust of Hector's character wanting to just see his daughter one last time, like I'm going to get emotional talking about yep. it. Like it's, it's by far, like if we were ranking these based on which one, can make anybody cry. Oh, Which Coco. one is the most emotional? Yeah, it's, it's this yeah. easily. Easy over the movie that where most of the characters are actual emotions. It's this one. Then Inside Out maybe has the most emotional. And it's I don't genuine, know. right? It's um, not just hundred percent like schmaltzy manipulation to get you to cry. It is genuine right. because the movie gets you to care about these characters, and it is a movie about grief. It's a movie about culture. It's a movie about ancestry. It's a movie about family, like family honor, tradition, family trauma, family secrets, uh, misunderstandings, all this sort of stuff. Ultimately, it is a movie about grief. And we Mm -hmm. all have people in our life, grandparents, parents, siblings, um, you know, uncles, aunt, whoever that we love that are not with us anymore. And it's like, I also choked up this time when at the end with the, the, they're having the celebration and yeah. um, the spirits are back and they're joining them, you know, and they're not mm-hmm. aware that the spirits are there or they're kind of aware, but they're not, they can't see them. Right. And I was just sort of like that idea of like, you know, the, the people you love um, being with you even after death is just, oof, yeah, right. I'm getting choked up. Yeah. Um, also yeah. um, they take remember me, which is a great song, period. Great song. But yeah, on its own, which is a great song. They take it and they play it like six times in the movie. And you think, okay, <laughs> that's redundant. Uh, but each time they play it, it's like uh, with a slightly different mood. And it represents yep. something different. And the way it transforms from being like, oh, it's just a catchy tune. Yeah, yeah. Ernesto de la Cruz at the yeah. beginning, like this bombastic, yeah. like, look at how great I am. The, like we get contained entertainer with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's a great song. You're like, oh, that's catchy. And he, this guy's handsome. He's cool. And he's like, it's like a love song. He's like a matinee idol, right? He literally was a matinee idol in Mexican films. And he's just like singing to the women of the world. Like I have to leave to go to my next adventure. Remember me, right? But it's still catchy. Yes. You're like, man, it's really catchy. It's got a great melody, all this sort of stuff. And then you flip over to, oh, no, he's, no, it was complete spoilers, but I guess we're going to do it. No, he has stolen this music. That there's and nothing, murdered oh, his he murdered his friend. best friend and stole a song he wrote for his baby daughter. Yes. So that to comfort her and himself when they're away from each other, when he's trying to get a musical career uh, to support her. And then he decides, I can't do it. I love my daughter too much and my wife. I'm going home. And he's murdered. <laughs> and this guy's, <laughs> this guy's, all this guy's hit music is stolen. And you realize what the real context of Remember Me is. And then, of, yes, of course, when Miguel plays it at the end, 
and uh, she starts singing, right? She comes out of her, her fog because the, it triggers a memory in her. Um, and Mama Co- Coco starts singing with him. You're like, oh, I, like, if you don't cry at that, yeah. there's something Litmus wrong with test you. For, for humanity. <laughs> yeah. like, you are a replicant. Said, this doesn't move you emotionally. Yeah. Some in, to some degree, like yeah. I don't know what to tell also, you. Also, like, like yeah. Miguel is you know is a child actor playing a child character, and yes. he is so likable and lovable as a character that I had that I had that written down too. Like yeah, and you understand he's, where exactly. he's coming from when he does kind of some shitty stuff that he does in the movie or whatever, or you know he he reacts like a child would react mm-hmm. in this high concept fantasy, right? But uh, but he's it's. You're never like, like you're like oh I'm a like you're like you see how at times how short sighted he is, but it never feels, you know this, this right. selfish kid. He's just he's a hurt kid who has something he right. really loves in his life that he doesn't understand why his family is on either side of the grave is trying to take it from him and, um, and especially in his mind, it's not that he wants to dishonor his family in his mind. This is how he connects with his family. And so he's like, how? And that becomes, yeah, yeah, that becomes, that's in the celebration scene that you're mentioning at the end of the movie when he sings Proud Corazon. Like that's the whole, that's where the whole movie is pursue your art or be a part of your family. And it's, and that's Miguel's kind of resolution is, all right, no, I just bring my family into my art and bring my, you know, marry those two worlds. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, like he's supposed to be, what, 10 years old, 12, something around there, somewhere in that range. And all he wants to do is play music in the town square. The other we just talked about a movie where an 11 year old girl was running away to to, from home to her old house, like presumably (laughs) states away. It's like all this kid wants to do is I just want to stand in that on that stage and play a song it's for it. the people in my neighborhood yeah. and, and he's being denied that. Yeah. And when you're that age, everything is the end of the world. I have a five year old in this house. We tell her we, she can't have the thing for lunch she wants. She throws a fit. So of course the ten year old is like, this is the end of the world. This is how all I have. You see him. He he puts Ernesto de la Cruz on such a pedestal. Yeah. You see him watching the movies, which I, as I recall was. The teaser trailer, I think, for this movie was that sequence with him watching so. the the little clips of Ernesto de la Cruz. And usually, Pixar teaser trailers are not that great. They have a tendency to just kind of be subpar, and then the movie ends up being much better, in my opinion. Oh, really? Oh. Uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of times they're just too jokey, and they're playing, you know, they're playing to kids. And I feel like this one kind of uh, hinted at the deeper meaning that was going on in this movie from the get go. But yeah, I it's it has a whole appearances can be deceiving thing too. With Ernesto de la Cruz, turn as we said, yeah. turning out to be the villain. With uh, Hector's intentions getting misread, there's a lot, like we were saying, a lot of misunderstandings and things like that. Yeah. Did um did the twist that Hector is his his real family? Did that work for you, or did you kind of? I thought it was because when I saw this the first obvious. time, I yes, okay, <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. Me too. But this movie even transcends that. It does. Even transcends where you're like, oh, well, clearly this guy's going to be the one, the character that we're spending the whole movie yeah. with probably is real great, great, great grandpa yeah. and not this, this guy that he thinks is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be and, the movie star. It's going to be this other guy. Right. Yeah, of course. Exactly. And it, and it works and it doesn't really take anything away from the movie. You know, I think the, that's a testament to the, to the strength of the storytelling around it. Part of the reason it works for me is because until the very, very end, in the middle, and Dela Cruz realizes, oh, you're not my great-great-grandson or whatever. Um, he's not really 
um, I feel like when he apologizes to Miguel and he's like, I'm sorry, like you're, you can't go home. You're staying here. Like whatever. Like, I feel like he actually likes the kid. I think he really likes Miguel. I think the villain up to that point, like really genuinely likes him. It's just like, he likes his reputation more. Like he does, like he's turned on Hector. He hates Hector. And, but he's like, I'm just gonna, I'm going to keep you here in the land of the dead because I need the living to keep giving me these offerings because he wants to be wealthy in the land of the dead right like he wants to mm-hmm. keep his status but he doesn't hate the kid so at like the very end when he's like trying to kill the kid and stuff like that it does go a little bit like 90s disney villain kind of at the end with him right and i'm like uh i liked it better when he was like a little bit more complex than that right like he's the bad guy without right. a doubt Fair. but he's not without the capacity to care or like somebody right like i thought that was more interesting so that the and it's uh, I think it's also yeah go ahead I think the ending resolution like I love them Hector and his great great grandma singing together and I love all that sort of stuff but I think like the resolution of him just like being taken by the cat and thrown under a church and the bell that all felt very nineties Disney you know and it's yeah it, it, no I agree they always fall off of something high in those movies you know <laughs> or it's just like it's almost and I know this is Pixar but it's like a classic Disney trope since like Snow yes. White or whatever. Somebody's falling off a cliff. Somebody's getting falling off a church. Somebody's falling off a building. And also, uh, he's dead. So how do you kill him? You can't. Right. The only thing that can happen is that he'll be forgotten. But also, like, I like how they did it. It kind of made sense. Mama Coco kept all the letters. They're all dated and timed and whatever. And so that little town can be like, this guy that we all worshipped as like this, our movie star, or music star. It's not him. It's this other guy. You know for a fact there'd still be a lot of people that would still be like, nah, it was Dela Cruz. They're trying to take his legacy, right? Like there's like there would not all of a sudden. Hashtag fake news. Yeah, yeah. There's no way that like everybody in the world that's in of Coco that's in love right. with this guy would suddenly like hate him. That just wouldn't happen. So, would it have worked better if the family knew the truth and everyone else was just like whatever? Kept on thinking De La Cruz was the one behind it. Was that so? It was a little too convenient of a, a narrative cleanup for you, is what it sounds like. It's a it's a it's an extraordinarily happy ending, and I'm swept along with yes. the emotion of it. But I don't. That's the part where I'm like, I bump up against it. Where I'm like, eh. this guy's been famous. He's been dead for sixty years or seventy years. And he's right. been fa- like the fact that he's even still popular is kind of weird, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because like you could be a superstar, and twenty years later, nobody knows who you are. So. That's kind of weird. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I'll believe that. But then to believe that then they're going to be like, if, if like all of a sudden we found out that Elvis wasn't really Elvis, like somebody else was singing all those parts or whatever, would anybody care in 2021? And the people who do care about Elvis wouldn't believe it. Right? So right. That's true. And then yeah. he's basically Mexican Elvis. And so I was like, okay. <laughs> kind of. Uh, yeah. This- to, to be fair, too, though, this we don't know exactly when this movie is set. It has a certain timelessness to it. And there's no I don't know. No Miguel's wearing jeans and a hoodie. Miguel's wearing I jeans. Guess, I guess. Everybody else. You're right, though. Everybody <laughs> else is wearing, like, generic clothes. Like, right. even, in, even in the living world, like his family. So they're just dressed like people. It could have been at any time, pretty much, right? But Miguel mm-hmm. definitely looks like a kid from right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fair. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I'm with you though. Why is this number two and not number one though? Well, we got to answer that question. 
Uh, I think for some of the things that, that we've addressed, I think the thing with the, the spirit animals felt very shoehorned in. Like I didn't need the dog to be, yeah. to be a spirit animal. I felt like that was again, kind of a nineties. Like we need an animal sidekick that can help Miguel out. Yeah. I'm like, do we though? I mean, we don't really, uh, there's, really there's a do couple much. instances. Yeah. It doesn't really, no, he doesn't. He shows up to catch, to catch Miguel briefly and then drops him. And then the giant cat <laughs> gets him anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dante you had one job. Um, yeah, uh, there's that. There's, I think, certain elements. Like, the twist, I feel like, like we said, was a little predictable, as you said. Like, we know that it's clearly not going to be De La Cruz pretty early on. We, I, You can kind of put those pieces together. I don't think the movie suffers for it, but I think that the number, my number one, it just feels... I don't know. It's just more rewatchable for me. I feel yeah. like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it has like, I can't, when we get to it, I can't think of much negative to say about it. This one, I have a couple of minor things yeah. and that's about it. So if we were rating these, this would still be like 9.3 or five or something like uh, around there. It's a lovely Nine, film. It's a lovely film. It's very, it's, it's beautiful. The design of the world yeah. and the way it's illustrated with all the it kept my, culturally, like it kept my attention culturally appropriate, like design yeah. and colors yeah. and the leaves, the like bridge of leaves yeah. that he travels over to get to the land of the dead. All that stuff is gorgeous. And uh, I mean, for all the reasons we mentioned, it's, it's by far one of their best, their second best, I guess we're agreeing on. And it's, it also feels like, you know, Pixar has been on a, a little bit of a downswing in a lot of ways. Because of the last three that they've made, I think Luca's the only one I really have any interest in rewatching. And it feels like this is sort of a a level of filmmaking that they haven't they haven't made anything. Let's put it this way: they haven't made anything close to these five films since this movie. Yeah, like this right. is the this is the bar that now has been set this and inside out was a couple years before. Like we said, other than that, they put out the good dinosaur, which is not very good. Yeah. Finding Dory, which is fine. Uh, Onward, which is okay. Like a lot of movies that are like good, but not great. Yeah. And these five are great. And I think Coco in another world in another, you talk to me another day, this could have been my number one. I don't know. It's, it's again, a razor's thin razor thin edge for these movies, but the number one that I have, and I guess we both have is, kind of undeniable in, in my mind at least well it's obvious yeah i the, our number one is the incredibles and um i've never this is my first time watching this one as well oh interesting you can break through walls i just can't that's fine get this. so mr incredible do you right. have a secret identity every superhero has a secret identity i don't know a single one who doesn't who wants the pressure of being super all the time of course I have a secret identity. Can you see me in this at the, um, at the, at the supermarket? Come on. I would want to go shopping as Elastigirl, you know what I mean? Super ladies, they're always trying to tell you their secret identity. Think it'll strengthen the relationship or something like that. <laughs> I said, girl, I don't want to know about your mild-mannered alter ego or anything like that. I mean, you tell me you are a super mega ultra lightning babe, that's all right with me. I'm good. I'm good. And, I, and again, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's not that complicated of a story. It is relatively simple. The, the, the best thing this movie does straight off the gate is they don't try. There's no twist. They don't try to be like, oh, it turns out the villain is the kid from the beginning. It's, the kid looks like a villain when he's a kid. And it's obviously <laughs> he's the villain. And the movie is like, and when, and, I'm the and villain. And when the first time we formally meet his adult self, he just drops that out there. Like, oh, by the way. Yeah. 
I, I tried to be your friend. Yeah. And it didn't really work out. Yeah, they don't even try on. to fake yeah. you out, right? Like, they just, they know. They're like, oh, we're not even going to try to go for that. This, and I've heard so many people talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. So there was so much hype about this movie for so many years. And it was like, I kind of get it. I saw all the end of it. Like, I'm, and, you know, I've seen chunks of it on TV, flipping through the channels. Um, so, like, do I really need to revisit it? This gave me the occasion to revisit it. Um, well, the animation style, it's a completely different animation style. It's got that sort of art deco, mm -hmm. sharp edges yep. kind of Well, it seems like it's it. set in like the, in essentially the late 60s yep. because when Edna mentions all these superheroes, like this person, 1956, this person, 58, and like superheroes have been outlawed for know, 10 or 15 years. So we're like in the late 60s, the space race time yeah. basically is where we're at. Yeah. Even though his office seems really modern. <laughs> it does yeah but yeah it's in a, it's in some weird time and it's obviously not our world right so it doesn't really matter it's it's a world full of superheroes the fact that they're able to do what they do the fact that they created a superhero world i think in the early 2000s long before the mcu right what year did this come out oh five oh six 2004 2004 so yeah this was four years before iron man so at this point we're getting x-men movies Dare, daredevil as uh, the year before this and then fantastic four the the, the original to the chris evans one or whatever is the year after so yeah so you could have said from 2004 to maybe 2005 and maybe 2004 to 2008 this is the greatest superhero movie of the decade at that point right they're taking superheroes. They're doing clever things with them. It's deconstruction without dismantling. They're playing on riffs. All of these characters are analogous to something else or somebody else, right? This thing kept my attention, and it is maybe a perfect film. Story-wise, yeah. narrative-wise, character-wise, characterization, acting-wise. There, there's no redundancies. There's no stupid twists. There's no stupid references their humor is character-based humor so it's it, it has not aged or dated at all it still looks some of the animation in this looks amazing some of the jungle sequence stuff i was like my god how did they do this in 2004 this would have blown my mind in 2004 so when audiences are like this is the one of the most amazing movies and they have that memory that nostalgia for it i totally get it because i don't have any nostalgia for this movie whatsoever so it's not my number one off of like it was amazing 20 years ago it's amazing today in 2021 it is fun it's funny it's emotional i i the first of all holly hunter is just great we need more of her in life in general uh craig t nelson fantastic um they seem like real people even the kids they all seem like real people um the, the only thing, the only thing that would maybe tip it and go, I don't like that is Jack Jack. But what they do, if, it, if this movie had done the easy thing, which is continuously cut back to him destroying the house and having powers and being wacky, we get the, we get a series of voicemails all in a row in one little scene, but we're not cutting back to it. I think if we had left the main story and kept cutting back to gags with this baby, I would have hated this movie. What they did is there, there is a short called Jack-Jack Attack, which is exactly what you just said. So they kept all of the Jack-Jack stuff of him freaking out the babysitter and they made that into like a five minute short. 
and it was on the DVD, and so it's on Disney Plus. So people that want that, it's there. And I think it works pulled out of this context anyway. And they developed the Jack Jack thing more in the second one. You, you get a little, you get like a fight with him and a raccoon and things like that. He gets his powers in the sequel, so they get there. But I think yeah, they use it just enough here, uh, where you get like hints of that by not showing us and then showing us all of it at the end. I think is a better payoff, and it's almost like a little coda to the movie as opposed to, you know, just like another animated feature would have done what I just said. They would have kept cutting back to the house getting destroyed and the baby slapstick and, and, and kids would have laughed their butts off and they would have loved it and ha 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 ha, but it wouldn't have aged well. And this is a movie where it's aged perfectly because it was made masterfully and is like every right decision you could make for this particular movie they made it there. I don't have normally like I'm a structure guy. I'm a writing nerd. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And this should have been here. And that should have been introduced in the first. I got nothing. I got no notes on this movie. I got like, if I was in the studio, I'd be like, no notes. Like I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with this yeah. movie. No, it's it, no, I mean, it, I agree. It's I have the perfect length. about how great it is. It, it, it's not five minutes too late or too short. It's not right. five minutes too long. Just about the time you're like, okay, I'm about done. It's like, okay, that's the end then. And you're like, whoa, okay. <laughs> I, know, I know that uh, obviously Disney owns Marvel Studios and, and there's therefore the entire MCU. This is the best superhero movie Disney's ever produced. Yes. I think I'm confident in saying that. I would agree with you. This is better than everything Marvel Studios has made thus far. There are some that, that are great yeah. and that are not as far away from this maybe as some of the more recent ones or some of the other, MC, yeah, the lesser yeah. MCU m entries are. But this is by far better than anything in the MCU, better than anything in the, certainly in the DCEU. Or Sony. Is, so, yeah, I think it's yeah. still, I think it's in contention still for one of the best superhero movies ever made. So, like, so it, when I, I was think done, it's, yeah. it's up there for sure. It's, it's one of, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It's one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. And considering that they are not, they're fake superheroes they are just made up. All of them are made up, but you know what I mean? They're, they're just like, right. They're just not based on source. Yeah. Material. There's no source material right. here. Um, I think, yeah, I think this is way up there. And I think of the movies of the last superhero movies, last 20 years. Okay. Let's modern superhero movies. I think it's between this and probably into the spider verse as, and I think that, I think this maybe beat spider verse. And I would have to say, I think spider verse is maybe one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think this might beat this. Yeah, and those two are, are and those two are animated, which I don't know what that says about comic books. Just work better as animation in in some respects. I think yeah, yeah I, just, I think you're 100 percent right. I think I, I think I've long held this opinion. I think that, and I think there's certain characters and certain storylines that just work better in an animated world. Do they just do? They just because yeah. there's less of a suspension of disbelief. And at that point, you're not thinking about the real world implications and the physics of it all and the this and that. Like, there's less of a hurdle to you get over. You don't have wonky CG. Yes. Like, if you go back now, I love the original Spider-Man movie, but boy, anytime yeah, he's he swinging like around and yeah. stuff, jeez. Yeah, the rubber people thing yeah. that a lot of the early 2000s yeah. superhero movies has. But yeah, this has this is by far you know a perfect superhero movie. It works as a perfect spy movie. Like we said, yeah. it's very Bondy and in a family. lot of ways. It's a perfect family movie. 
and and a family it works there's there is legit family drama yes. in this movie this this Mr. Incredible as we said Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter and Sam Jackson and Jason Lee like all of these performances yeah. are amazing uh, Mr. Incredible is essentially going through a midlife crisis during this movie yep. he's you know and, and it's all about it's if you want to use it as kind of allegorical the superhero work is like him kind of re- redefining and finding himself at this point in his life yeah. and you know that there's there's implications of their marriage that this struggling she thinks he's cheating on yep. her like this is a movie for children and yet i feel like as a 38 year old man i relate to it more now yep. than i did when i saw it when i was 20 I, or than my daughter does watching it now for kids it works as just like a fun superhero movie but if you're watching it as an adult you're like oh man this family needs to get their stuff together like you yeah. know you you feel that conflict and it feels like you said they feel like real people it's a real relationship between the two of them uh, an, an equal relationship, I should add too. Yeah. And it feels it feels like a real family dynamic. There, are, there's tension in that household. It's not, you know, it's they Pixar makes a lot of movies. Most of the ones on this list are uh, about family, and I feel like this kind of embodies that theme in in a very different way, but equally as effective as Coco does. Yeah. I think there's a there's a worse version of this movie where Mr. Incredible. Craig T. Nelson is the big, dumb, bumbling husband. Right. And Holly Hunter is the perfect wife and mother. And they have an inkling of that. But um, she also screams at her children. (laughs) She loses her temper. She gets, you know, she is, she's not that perfect mom with the dumb dad. And dad isn't dumb. Dad's unhappy with himself. And he's not dumb though, and he's we we with the working at the insurance company, we see that he's caring. He's a deeply caring person when he's helping that old woman. He's like, you didn't hear this from me, but you know, and and so he's not this. He's not an insensitive brute, right? And she's got to bring out the exactly. love, the love in him because she's the sensitive, perfect wife. No, she loses her temper. She screams. She she has fears and insecurities. He's at times. Uh, the, the more reasonable one, the more level-headed one. At times, she's the more level-headed one. They complement each other. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, and he's exactly. he loves her. He and he truly loves his kids. He's just he's distracted, and he. But it's all in a very like human way because he is going through this midlife crisis, and ultimately, it's him wanting to be able to like not just regain his glory days because that's kind of what they even make you think it's about. It's kind of about that. But when she confronts him on that, he's like, it's not about that, really. Yeah, that's part of it. But what it's really about is basically he wants to feel like he's good enough to deserve his family. Mm-hmm. Like that's what yeah. he does not, and, working and, that and that's, dead-end job, he doesn't feel worthy enough to come home and be like the dad and husband he needs to be. He doesn't feel worthy of them. Because he doesn't have that outlet. He can't be himself. And that's a yeah. theme that runs through everything. Violet's scared of being seen. Yep. Uh, Dash is, has to hold back. Yep. Can't compete in sports. So he has to like, his outlet is putting tax on his teacher's seat and not and yeah. getting caught on video, but not getting caught on video. Yeah, and Elastic and, Girl uh, is made to be a spy she, and a fighter pilot and all this sort of stuff. And she's vacuuming. Right. Yeah. She has to kind of hold it together in, a, in addition to her feeling the same as her husband. Yep. She has to kind of be the glue and keep everyone on the same page. Yep. And uh, 
And, you know, it's just, you get that scene, one of the, the more emotional scenes in this movie, kind of touching on what you were saying about Mr. Incredible, is where he's captured and in the, in the, he's being held up. Yeah. And he thinks that they just shot down his entire family. His children. And that's yeah. how, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, his children, his, yeah. his wife. Like, he thinks that, you know, he thinks that they're all dead. And so you have that, that like, emotional low, that desperation that he turns to. You have the, this is, a, again, a movie for children in which uh, the movie implies that their uh, their intimacy has returned at one point. Yes. Like, very oh, visually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, which, which, again, for a kid's movie, they, they thread it nicely where nothing is like super overt about that, where uh, the mother is telling her kids, listen, these people are not like the characters you saw on TV. These people will kill you. They don't care that you're kids. So anything happens, you run. Yeah. And so this movie is playing by the rules of a superhero movie of a like 1960s spy movie but also in, at points subverting that yeah. and going yep. taking modernizing it and subverting we have Edna Mode who has a whole thing about no capes yeah. <laughs> like I've seen these other stories look what happened yeah. no capes and she like, she kind of cuts through all the BS that's almost some, and that's I think almost that, some like Alan Moore Watchmen level stuff right of, of like I wrote Watchmen down yeah. Watchmen there's Watchmen level stuff here yeah. there's a there's a whole anti superhero law yeah. that happens yeah. it's it's also kind of true lies but for families yeah. where he yeah. has to sneak that's out exactly right I had that too especially with the whole affair thing I was like. Yeah, I was yes. like, yeah, there's a whole true lies. It feels true lies is there. Yeah, 100%. But none of, none of, it, none of it feels derivative. Nope. All of it works. Yep. Uh, you have, we said, we already mentioned Edna Mode, I, I, who I love that character. Yeah. And they use her just enough. If they had overplayed their Edna Mode card, it would have been like, okay, I get it. She's, she's very abrupt. And, that, and the, she's the, really, the person we, we who does the voice deal. of that is Brad Bird, right? It is. Because <laughs> it is. And, allegedly, he couldn't find anybody to do exactly what he wanted to do, and so the, finally, his own crew got sick of him. Like, no, that's not it. That's not right. And they're like, well, you do it yourself. So he did it himself. <laughs> and it's a fan favorite character. Yeah. And I think the uh, the Michael Giacchino score in this is so listenable. Yeah. I think some of some of the all the music in all five of these movies is great, but I think some of them don't work as well to listen on their own. Yes. You can put, I put, I put this on while I'm writing before and it's very jazzy and upbeat. Yeah. And it's got a sixties feel beautiful. to it. It's almost like, oh, so good. It's, it's like amazing. James Bond meets oceans 11, kind of a jazz it, feel to yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And then, you know, I think that the fact that this movie is so great is a testament to that Brad bird, the Brad bird movies that he's written and directed for Pixar are the closest Pixar has gotten to like a real auteur. Uh, yeah. coming into their yeah. midst because a lot of their people Lee Unkrich who did Coco and Andrew Stanton and Pete Docter and and John Lasseter who you know who's now got a whole other issue with him yeah. but uh, but all of those guys are Pixar guys Brad Bird is a filmmaker who works with Pixar it's it's not exactly the same thing mm -hmm. he's not part of the in-house Pixar team who kind of works his way up he made Iron Giant and then he made this for them and then Ratatouille, which is another great movie, and Incredibles 2, and then, you know, yeah. we talked about Tomorrowland briefly. So, I mean, the fact that he has that sort of outside perspective, he doesn't necessarily feel like he has to play by whatever the Pixar rules are, and he can kind of do his own thing. And you can feel that Disney and Pixar just said, hey, you made The Iron Giant, that's a great movie, you go do your thing, and we'll, we'll you know, interfere as little as possible. And you, it, it doesn't feel like a movie that has a lot of hands in the mix. Yeah. It feels like one person telling a singular story and, and uh, executing that vision. Iron Giant is uh, just 
I've seen it one time in my life, and it's one of those things I never want to watch it again because it was such an amazing... I, I just loved everything about the movie, and it was so amazing, and Vin Diesel got me to cry by just saying Superman, and I never <laughs> yeah. want to go back because I'm afraid that if I go back, I don't like it as much, it'll ruin that memory, so I will never watch it again because it's, per- <laughs> it's perfect in my mind. And, and now, here, here's, here's where I think we're getting at, right? You're a hardcore Pixar guy. You've been following the journey in real time all the way through for the most part. Uh, I've intermittently kind of dipped in and out. If, that, if, if one looked good, I'd go see it or watch it, or if I heard a lot of good right. things about it, but a lot of them I've skipped or you know whatever. Or I watched them, and I was like, yeah, it's fine. I'm ambivalent towards it. The low-tier Pixar, everyone's like, those aren't very good, or those are like softer Pixar. I haven't seen any of them. The fact that I'm coming at this with no nostalgia, having just seen it just hours ago or days ago, and you're coming at it, I assume you probably saw it fairly close to when it was released. Yeah, no, I saw this in, I've seen most of, I, I, I've seen almost all the Pixar movies in theaters. I have, because I've just moved into this house not long ago, yeah. I have a Toy Story lithograph from the Disney store from 1996 sitting over there that I'm like, do I want to put this in one of my kids' rooms? Where am I going with this? Yeah. So I've been, I've seen the vast majority of these in theaters. You got to build a YouTube your set point, around that lithograph, by the way, with nothing but toys yeah, and knickknacks right, behind you <laughs> for the cricket table. To, to your point, like even I haven't seen Cars 2 or 3 all right. the way through. I saw the first one and I was like, eh, no, I'm fine. And I'm it's also going to get worse from here. I'm also not a parent. And so that motivates, I know, a lot right. of older people because it's just this stuff eventually makes it to Disney Plus and your kids watch it 10 times a day. So I don't have a need to watch these things. So for me to say coming in as a blank slate, having only seen the end of Incredibles and to come at it now, now after 20 years almost of big budget cinematic superhero movies, MCU, and go back and be like, this is better than all of it. Like I love Infinity War. Like I, I could, Infinity War I think is infinitely rewatchable for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not like even the world's biggest MCU guy. I got a lot of problems with those movies, and you've all heard about them for hours. But for <laughs> me to come back around and be like, like agree with you and be like, I, this, is, this is not nostalgia speaking. This is just my experience of it. The, the script is just on a completely different level than what Marvel's been giving you for the most part. Like it's just, it's, yeah, I, I would just agree. I don't think they've, I don't think a su- modern superhero movie maybe outside of Into the Spider-Verse, has come close to the writing and characterization and simplicity and tightness um, of this of Incredibles. There's no filler. There's no fat. There's nothing that needs to be trimmed. There's nothing that's like, oh, that didn't need to be in there. Or that was, doesn't meander. There's no meandering. There's no second act problems. This, this movie goes from strength to strength to strength to strength. It's a damn near perfect film, if not perfect. It's... It's so well paced, perfectly like we paced, yeah. and then, and then, and then you get to the third act where it's it's you know there he's captured and she has to infiltrate, and then they get out, and then they have to fight on the island, and and Dash is running across the water, and then him and Violet are together, and fantastic, and, Mr. Incred- and it's like it's. Then they get off the island, they have to make it to the mainland, yeah. and they fight the machines in the city, and Frozone joins them, and yeah. it's like, it's this whole, it's like that, I know you're a wrestling guy, it's that whole Vince McMahon meme where you're like smirking, yeah. and, then, and then at the end you're just like, oh! <laughs> it's this whole, this third act yeah. is exactly yeah. that. You're like, wow, then that happened, then that happened, then the end, you're just like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. It's what popular um, entertainment it's, it's is supposed exactly to like, be. Yes. Right? 
100%. It's four quadrant popular entertainment where anybody of any age, gender, race, identity can sit down and watch this and care about it because it has good story, good characterization, good themes, emotional resonance. It looks good. It's paced well. It's fun. It's funny. It's sad. It has some thrills and chills. You clap, you cry, and you go home happy. And that's what this level of entertainment is supposed to be. Yeah, I think that Pixar has been a very good steward of storytelling. And so where is crowd-pleasing, popular entertainment, high-quality, high-concept, plus good storytelling? It's been in the hands of Pixar for the last 20 years, 25, 30 years, actually. It was, as we're getting there, but they're almost 30 years. Yeah, and, um, yeah almost. Maybe they're, maybe they're going to give up the throne here. Uh, maybe they're on a little bit of a slump, but... It's also they're making bold, bold family entertainment, bold, creative, idea-rich family entertainment that, that is not, it's not, I mean, look at all the other animated stuff out there. It's Trolls, it's Minions, Sing, it's, sing you know, two, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sing, Sing 2, Despicable Me, 1, 2, 3, right. whatever. Uh, yeah, it's all like the exact opposite of what we've been saying for the past like almost two hours. Like it's... It's pop culture references to Twitter in a, in a, in a, you know, in a family animated movie. It's fart jokes. It's, uh, it's very frenetic and, you you know, lots of noises, fast colors, keep kids interested and not a whole lot else. The story is basically soulless in a lot of respects. And yet these people, these, the team at Pixar has been, have been doing the opposite of that. They've been doing those kinds of bold, innovative stories that are not afraid to shy away from, hey, you know what? This fish, he's got all these kids and his wife, they're all dead. We're starting, that's where we're starting from. This this little girl, she's got a lot of emotional, tumultuous stuff going on inside of her. Let's see what happens with that. You know, these people, they're all fat, just sitting around in the future. And that's that's where human race is headed. (laughs) Um, You know, this is what, you know, we we just talked about Coco, a whole movie about death. The whole movie is about death. Look at all these dead people. We should remember them. Otherwise, they're going to literally fade from existence, not even as a spirit, be able to. And then and then this film is about, you know what? Being middle aged and having kids and a wife and a household and also having your own personal ambitions it's hard to balance all that. And so it's, you try, whether you have superpowers or not, yeah. I can vouch for that. So it's, <laughs> so these are all very relatable yeah. movies that are not afraid to, to be real about certain storylines and certain themes and certain character motivations. And, uh, you know, they don't placate to children. I think that's been, you know, we, uh, I was on Nostalgia Cast with Darren Lundberg yeah. and, oh, yeah. and Johnny over there. And we talked about an American tale. And that was kind of my, I went on a whole little tangent about like, kids are not stupid. You can teach them about these things yeah. through the prism of it's a fish, it's a robot, it's a toy, you know? Yeah. And they'll understand. They won't, they won't be bored by it. You can challenge them a little bit. And I think these movies, in addition to being, yeah. yeah. I think it also helps a child develop emotional maturation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In addition to being four quadrant entertainment, you can do all that at yeah. the same time. Yeah. You don't have to choose but one or the other. And I think that's kind of the, you know, the thesis statement of why I picked these five movies is that these five movies all pass on both in both respects. You watch them as a kid, you like, you know, the the cute little turtles women around talking like a surfer 
or you know the the robot and the uh, hanging around on on Earth with the roach, whatever. Yeah. And then when you get older, you're like, oh man, this is that's what it like what it feels like to be a father or to have a kid or to be a kid or to be a person in the world trying to make a positive difference, like. You know, you have that scene that we mentioned earlier with Mr. Incredible where he's dealing with his boss and he's seeing someone being mugged outside and he knows he has the power to stop it, but he's powerless to act and he feels powerless in his life. And I think that all that is, you know, is not the kind of thing that kids are familiar with. So introduce them to it through through animated film. I think it's it's a great media uh, medium through which to to teach them those kinds of lessons. Coming at number five, Finding Nemo. Coming at number four, Inside Out, which was kind of a surprise for both of us. Coming at number three was Wall-E. Coming at number two, another surprise, Coco. And then coming at number one, huge surprise for me, Incredibles. So um, it just turns out that the rest of the world was right. I was wrong. And I, <laughs> I wasn't so much wrong as I didn't really have an opinion. But I'm thankful that we did this. I'm thankful for the folks who sponsored the episode. And mostly I'm thankful for you, Robert, because I don't know that I would have watched them in a cluster like this. You know, I've seen some of these and maybe I would have gotten around to seeing all of them. But watching them together, it kind of like filled in a gap of, oh, that's what happened to movies <laughs> in my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just it, 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 it made the tapestry make a little bit more sense of the landscape, make a little bit more sense. So I'm really appreciative. I think you picked five perfect films. Like we said at the top, these are all good movies. Some have yes. different flaws than others. A couple of them have the exact same flaw, uh, the bottom three. But um, you can't go wrong with any of them, and you all probably already know that. If you are listening to this and you're like, I'm not really an animated person, um, well, thank you for sticking with us this long. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am not anti-animation. It's just not my go-to, per se. Uh, when it's really well done, I really like it. I respond to it. Uh, and so maybe give some of these a shot. I would say at the very least, you haven't seen Incredibles, maybe you missed it, or Coco, uh, those two. Give those two a shot for sure. And, and then if you don't like them, only tweet at Robert Yanez Jr. at Crooked Table <laughs> on Twitter. Where can we find you, man? What do you got going on in 2022? And I know you've just, you're, you're just had a kid not that long ago, another one. Yep. You had a big move yep. not that long ago, uh, and you decided to completely and utterly relaunch from a single podcast or do a basically your self-sustained podcast ecosystem with very many Pretty much. different iterations of well, shows. Well, right now I have the two shows kind of that are running at the moment. Close Watch with Robert Yannis Jr. where we get to know our guests through the movies they love. So normally that's a different guest every episode and we'll talk about usually a movie that's important to them and delve into that film and their connection to it, that kind of thing. And then Franchise Detours, where in 2022 we're doing Mad Max, we're doing, speaking of uh, speaking of superhero entertainment, we're doing the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, we're doing uh, the Muppet movies, the theatrical Muppet movies, and then later in the year, the you know, the Dark Knight trilogy, the Planet of the Apes films, and then I think I'm hope planning on doing the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. So a lot of those early, mid-2000s movies we'll, uh, we'll be touching on on that show and you can uh, find all of those on apple Podcasts, spotify other podcatchers as well as crookedtable.com and you can follow me on twitter at crooked table yeah robert's a great guy uh he's just as nice and pleasant as you could ever want in somebody in the cynical world of movies and movie podcasting so definitely give him a follow uh i've definitely noticed a decline in his activity on twitter now that the second kid's been born 
So <laughs> this is what that means. What it means is when he's tweeting, it's really important to him. and He's not just shilling constantly content for you because otherwise he has a real life. So that's who you want to follow. You want to follow people on Twitter who have real lives. <laughs> Don't follow people well, yeah, I mean, who just tweet the tweet. Even... It- it, it it threw me off so much having the new having a new kid and moving that the end of 2021 I even just I did a 12 days of crooked table just because I had episodes banked that I hadn't posted because I <laughs> I wasn't really as active as I should have been so I was like you know what I got to clear the decks get those up ep- get these episodes out in the world and start 2022 fresh and stick to a schedule this time <laughs> and try and work ahead a little bit and so that that's what I that's what I did so. People can check out all the, they'll, they'll see episodes posted every day in like the lead up to, uh, <laughs> to the holiday season. <laughs> so with a, with, so I've there's been a doing backlog that, of Robert Yanez Jr. content out there. If you enjoy his raspy, absolutely. soothing voice as much as I do, then make sure you subscribe and uh, listen to his content. He's, not only that, he usually has some pretty good guests and, uh, 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 and he's, Helped me actually find some guests. He's one of the people I've hit up and said, hey, man, do you know anybody could do this? And he's always recommended people. And uh, I think we're going to have a few of the people you recommended on here in 2022. Awesome. So I'm always awesome. appreciative of you behind the scenes, man. You're, you're a good guy. You're a pal. And, uh, yeah, I, now Spotify has a five-star option. Please leave him five stars on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. So. Well, thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, and having me on for an experimental format, I think that, that was kind of fun to sort of figure out how it, uh, how to how to do this kind of on the fly and, and ex- set up in a definitive list. I, I'm surprised actually that our lists were so close. I mean, we had a three and four flip flop yep. kind of deal, and that's about it. Like everything else was pretty and was in line, and I I think that's a testament. Yeah, our movie taste yeah. diver is divergent, right? So we have some crossover, yes. but. There's a lot of stuff that you're like, hi, oh, that was okay. And I'm like, that was really good. And there's a lot of stuff you're like, I love that. I'm like, that's stunk. So we're not similar <laughs> in our taste. We're not so similar in our taste that it was a foregone conclusion that we'd have the same list. So I think with that. Exactly. And I think we've actually created a definitive list is what I'm saying. And us, like you mentioned, us coming from totally the opposite ends of the spectrum. You seeing Incredibles for the first time, me yep. owning it on DVD for almost 20 years. <laughs> so it's like yeah. a big difference. And we both yeah. were like, nope, these are the five best. This is the order they're in. We have spoken internet, <laughs> and so I think it's a, it speaks. It, it says a lot that we were, you know, we're not both like I grew up with this. Me too, you know. Right, exactly. Th- that's, yep. It's a, it's a, it's this testament to the strength of the film. So I, it was fun to talk about these movies and and to do it in this format. And it, did this was this experience like? Are you going to do this kind of format going forward with sponsored episodes? Like, what is your plan for that? I don't know. I think if somebody else wants to sponsor an episode, they hit, of course, always go to bingemovies.podbean.com and hit sponsor an episode button. Uh, You'll see an option where you can either do a deep dive on a single movie that we haven't previously covered or a ranking episode of some type. Um, I always try to do something different for the sponsored episodes than just a standard Episode. Unless that's what somebody wants, right? Pin me, pay me. Right. I keep the customers happy. So if somebody's like, I just want you to do what you do normally just with these movies or this theme or whatever, I'll definitely do that. But I always try to do something different and distinct to make it, to make it different. So it's really going to depend on getting feedback from listeners. Uh, if you can hit us up at Twitter at, on Twitter at Binge Movies and say, I like this format, or um, I thought it was terrible. This was the worst episode you ever put out. Then I'll never do it again. Don't ever have Robert back on again. It, w- it wouldn't be you to be the format, because you're <laughs> good, man. And, um, and people love you here, so they like when you're on. And 
So, um, yeah, I just, it's just really going to depend on whether or not people like the format or not. There's really no format. <laughs> it's just a casual conversation, but a attempting in real time to rank it. It's almost like a behind the scenes of how kind myself of, yeah. and our guests come up with these lists, really. So, yeah, no, and I, I, don't and even I think have a it name worked. For I, it. I, I, I wish I could like trademark this, a gimmick, but I can't. Because this this time we were pretty close, so I can't imagine how long, and, and we're still at almost two hours, like I can't imagine <laughs> how long this episode would be if you and I had completely opposite lists. It would be, would it be like 12 Angry Men style, we're going to stay here until we hash this out, and then you release the first ever like 14 hour podcast episode. If anybody like, can no. release a 14 hour <laughs> podcast, you're looking at it. <laughs> You see my wife over here bringing me like a pot of coffee. I'm like, I got to keep going. I'm fighting for the integrity of the Incredibles. Yeah. If anybody could talk for 14 hours about movies, it's definitely me. You, you would tap out after a while because you have a real life. I am a child. At a certain point, it's be like, I don't care that much. I got, I got, my kids need me. I got to go. Yeah. My, my, I'm a childless degenerate and all I have in my life is movies. So that's all I've got. Well, this is fun, Robert. I hope to have you back on in 2022. And uh, Absolutely. anything I could do to support your show, I'd be almost happy to. So, um, yeah, uh, it's always great to see you, man. And, I, yeah, listeners, tell us, did you like this uh, more loosey-goosey, real-time, let's figure it out on the fly as we go format? Should we do it again? Is it worth uh, trying again? Or you're like, that's stunk, don't ever do it again. Let me know on Twitter. And until next time, binge on. Binge on.